Why don't we take a moment and pray a little longer in addition to that that hymn we just sung. Let's continue our prayer, Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word. We know that there is a blessing that we do not deserve that you wish to give to us because in your word there is life. In your word we find truth. We find truth about who you are. We find truth in who we are. Um, We see your great love and we pray as we we look at your word that, that we would come to know your loving heart even more and that we would be led in ways of righteousness and life. In Christ, we ask this prayer. Amen. We are are finishing our stories of King David uh, from the Old Testament. And the story that we are finishing with is, uh, it is, um, it's a story, it's a tragic story, a tragic story of family relationships. It's not a a G-rated story in the least bit. And it's one of those stories, as we go through it, uh, maybe this will ring true for you. It's one of those stories that actually, it's one of many that point to the divine inspiration of Scripture because if you're trying to make up stuff and pass it off for sacred Scripture, you wouldn't write a story like this. Uh, in the story, we find that the, the heroes of our faith, we see their fallenness. If you're trying to make something up, you, you try to prop up your heroes. Well, this story has no problem in, in showing the failure of our heroes of the faith um, because, as we'll see by the end, the this, this story and all of its tragedy actually points to um, something that God is doing for us. And we'll get to that. And um, in this story, we're also going to see a very important principle for avoiding relationship regret. As I said, this is a a tragic relationship story. And by the end, I want us to see this principle um, so that we can put it into practice into our life. And there's a verse that I want to start off with. It's from the the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Um, And it goes like this, be very careful than how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, every opportunity. See, we often think there is time to make amends with someone or to get things back on the right course in a relationship. But here's the deal, and here's why we must make the most of every opportunity. Although there often is time, there will come a point in time when time has run out and it is too late and we just never know when that time is going to be. And so make the most of every opportunity. So today we're going to look at this low moment in the point of uh, King David's life. Turn to Second Samuel chapter 13. This story covers, um, we're going to read these verses from 13, but the story, we're going we're gonna to pick up in different places along the way. It goes all the way through 
chapter 18 and actually in chapter 19. Um, We won't talk about 19 today, but you can read uh, on a 19 if if you would like um, on your own. So we're going to start with uh, verses 1 and 2. This story involves David's first and third oldest sons. And um, we know many names when we think of King David, uh, Goliath or Jonathan or King Saul or Bathsheba. Uh, The names that we are going to talk about today may not be as familiar to you. Amnon and Absalom the names of King David's first and third oldest sons. Starting with verse 1, in the, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, also the son of David, with a different mother than Amnon. And... She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. He comes up with a plan. Verse 6, he starts instituting this plan. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and to make special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, Get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother, Absalom, said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. 
And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good nor bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. And I want to focus on the the time uh, sequence that we read in this story. Two years passed. Two years passed. And there is no word from Absalom to his brother Amnon. But there's someone else who remains silent in the story as well. And that is David. And when you read through the stories of David... Um, if you've been reading along in the, in the Bible in a year uh, with us, you'll notice that David usually is not shy about commenting on things or speaking or, you know, think of him going to the battlefields and seeing Goliath. And David was quite fine with speaking up about Goliath and wanting to go and fight for Goliath. D- David was not shy about doing things that put himself in the center of attention. But here David is silent. There's no mention of him saying anything to Absalom or Amnon. And I was thinking about that. Why is that? Well, one reason, there could be many, but one reason is there was another time when David himself looked at a beautiful woman and took for himself that woman who... Uh, even more than that, he had her husband killed to get. And earlier, I don't know if my microphone's going out. If it does, I'm going to grab. Um, so David's own moral life had not been too great lately. And perhaps in his shame, he thought, what right do I have to say to either of my sons? I'm in no position. I, I can't really claim the moral high ground. And so he remained silent. But Absalom needed to hear something. He needed to hear something, some act from his father of doing something to set things right. And that never came from David. So two years passed. For Absalom as well. And in this two years, he was harboring this, this deep hatred for his brother Amnon. And Absalom, so the story goes, Absalom, after two years, wanted to throw a feast. And he invited his, his father and all of his servants and all of David's brothers. And David wouldn't go. Absalom urged David. But his father refused to attend saying it would be too much of a burden for Absalom. For thing we hear from the story is something true about every human heart. And if we miss out on this point, it leads to disaster in relationships. Every human heart cries out to be known and to be loved. For others to know your struggles and to be willing to enter into those struggles with you. And surely Absalom was crying out to his father David, I'm hurting. I need you to go through this with me. But there's just silence from David. And sometimes those cries are are hidden in other words and other actions. And so I'm going to read this 
this continued story and what Absalom does, and behind this action is this cry out for help. David misses out on this. So listen to what Absalom says to David next. Then Absalom said, if you won't go, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? Yeah, good question. Why should Amnon go to the party that you're throwing Absalom? Why might David ask that question? Because David is on to something, isn't he? Maybe it's not a, a great idea for Amnon, who raped Absalom's sister, to go to the party that Absalom is throwing and have those two fellows be in the same room. So David's on to something, and he resists, but Absalom keeps urging David, keeps pressing him. And David gives in to Absalom. And it might have been one of those um, against-my-better-judgment moments. We've all had an against-my-better-judgment moment. You've had teenagers, you've experienced against-my-better-judgment moments. And your son or daughter may say, hey, you know, Dad, Mom, so-and-so's having a big party, and i got to go. Oh, really? Who's going to be there? Everyone's going to be there. Well, is her parents going to be there? Uh, I, I think. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure. I'm sure her parents are going to be there. Hmm. I don't know. I think you ought to pass on this one. That's what you hear from your mom and your dad. Oh, I need to go. I need to go. Everyone's going to be there. And then there's that, oh, against my better judgment moment. Yeah, okay. okay. Be safe. You know, know, those against my better judgment moments often work out. But in this case, it does not work out for David. Things did not work out okay this time. Uh, What could have been David's worst suspicions were confirmed. So Absalom at this dinner party gets his revenge by having Amnon, his brother, murdered in the presence of all of his brothers. And word gets back to David about what happened. And he wept for many days for his son Amnon. And Absalom, he flees to this city of Geshur. It's on the other side of the Jordan River. Up to the, to the northeast. So Absalom, he's getting out of town. And, uh, and he was there for three years. So keep track of the timeline. Two years since Amnon raped Tamar. Three years of Absalom being on the run. Look at verse 39 at the end of chapter 13. And King David longed to go to Absalom. He longed to go to his son Absalom in hiding. But he, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. But the thing is, David does not go to Absalom. And imagine Absalom in a sense of lostness. His way as a fugitive, he's gone from his family. His life is in shambles. He's ridden with guilt, perhaps, waiting from some contact from his father so he could know, at least I'm not going through this alone. At least my dad knows what's going on. And somehow he's... He's here for me, and day after day passed, no word from David. And his father, David, his heart longed to go to Absalom, but he never went. He never sent word to Absalom. David didn't do anything. Silence for three years. 
And it took outside help, actually, to bring the two together. It was the captain of David's army, a man named Joab. He finally moved David to, by urging him, you've got to get your son back here. And David finally consented. But instead of doing it, he sent Joab to go get Absalom. Instead of doing it himself. And so we get to chapter 14, verses 21 through 24. The king said to Joab, very well, I will do it. You go, go bring back the young man Absalom. So Joab went to Geshur, brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. What's the point of bringing Absalom back? He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. Now, neuroscience, we know this from neuroscience. Our brains are hardwired to see another person's face light up in our presence when they see us. I mean, you look at a baby. You have a little baby, and you're smiling at the baby. And what is the baby doing? Averting your gaze? No, the baby is looking right back at you and smiling because our brains are hardwired to see these, these gestures of happiness and joy in our face when, when we see others. Absalom needed to see his father's face, but David refused. And it could be that while he wanted Absalom with him, he could not find the courage to have him come and be forced with this forgiveness moment. And again, David didn't do anything, didn't say anything, and Absalom didn't see the king. And that went on for two more years. Absalom and David in Jerusalem together, just never seeing one another. There was this distance between them, this emotional distance, and David didn't do anything. Now, we often use an expression of a person. He, she is the strong, silent type. Have you heard that? The strong, of course you've heard that. And sometimes that can be true, being the strong, silent type. But in David's silence, he was not being strong in this case. He was not demonstrating strength. Strength would be, come on, Absalom, we, we can work this out. I can forgive. Um, David had checked out of this relationship. David was not strong. And what we see in the stories, guilt, shame, and regret of missed opportunities. They rob us of relationships when we check out, when we're silent but not in, in strength and weakness, rather. So Absalom was pretty desperate to see his father. Over and over again, he reached out to Joab. Hey, you brought me back to Jerusalem. Why am I not seeing the king? Joab ignores Absalom's contact with him. This goes on for two more years. And finally, Absalom does something pretty drastic to get Joab's attention. And he set a fire to Joab's grain fields. Well, yeah, that'll, that'll get Joab's attention. That'll do it. So finally, Joab comes to Absalom and uh, then sets up a meeting with David. And if you look at the end, near the end of verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 33, then the king summoned Absalom and he came in and he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king and the king kissed Absalom. Now what's missing from that verse is in any indication of emotional content, right? We're not sure. Was this this 
heartfelt embrace and kiss, or was it kind of more out of formality? Uh, was it war affection? Was it artificial and cold? We aren't sure. But we're going to read in a moment a clue that it might be the latter, that it might just be this cold informality. But either way, damage had already been done. The silence and hurt from, from the past seven years had taken its toll on Absalom. And he began to scheme against his father David. Absalom, what he would do, he would stand by the city gate, and as travelers would come into Jerusalem to see the king so that the king could settle a dispute for them, and bring the charge, my neighbor and I are in a fight, he's done me wrong, with the king to solve this matter. Well, Absalom stood at the gate so he could catch people on their way in that were going to see the king. And um, we're going to look at chapter 15, starting with verse 3. Absalom would catch someone at the gate and would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no rep- representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him, and what would he do? He would kiss him. Not, not in this warm way, but this kind of this cold formality kind of way. So I think maybe that is how David greeted his son at the end of chapter 14. Verse 6, Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And this happened for four more years. Now, you would think that in four years of Absalom doing this, David would have heard about it, probably did, and that, uh, and that David would do something, but David just remained silent. He could have checked in on his son, could have sat him down right then and there, say, we got to get the train back on the tracks. How are we going to do this, son? But he just remained silent. And then one day a messenger arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, that all Israel had joined Absalom in conspiracy against him. And David and those close to him fled Jerusalem. Um, Absalom works to take control of the city. He has his army, and those two armies soon meet in battle. And David knows what's going to happen in this battle if Absalom is caught, and so he tells his troops, everyone hears this, Second Samuel 18, David says, Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Now, what's missing in that statement? There's a word that's missing. Be gentle with my son Absalom. David doesn't say that. could have said that. Instead, he keeps his distance. This great battle occurs. 20,000 men die in this battle. And Absalom was caught. See, Absalom, if you know the story, you might remember this detail. He was said to be without blemish from head to toe, just this super handsome man with long hair. And every year, his hair got so heavy, he had to cut his hair. It was like five pounds of hair. Every year, he cut his hair. Well, maybe he was needing that 
haircut soon because he had his long flowing hair, Absalom did, and he was riding through the forest on a mule chasing after David's army, and his his hair gets caught in the, the tree branches. You know, there's there's some some of us where that wouldn't be a problem at all, right? You know. Once you get too long of hair, it's gonna get caught in a tree branch. Better just cut it off. Oh, he didn't cut it off. Hair's caught in the tree. Joab and his army found Absalom hanging in the tree by his hair. Now, was there anything in their past between Absalom and Joab that uh, might have upset Joab against Absalom just a little bit? Well, yeah, sure, Absalom had burnt Joab's grain fields to nothing. And Joab was not a compassionate man, and he ignored David's plea and took, took three javelins, and he thrust them into Absalom's heart while he was in the tree. And his men killed Absalom, there in the tree. And the two messengers went to David in in the the town where David was, and they both told him of of good news that the rebellion was over. And the first thing that David asked both of of the messengers is, is is the young man safe? Is Absalom safe? And David was told he was not safe, but he had been killed. And then the end of chapter 18, near the end, verse 33, we get, let's look at that verse. Flip, flip over to chapter 18 if you're not there. Look at verse 33. In his grief and in his regret, David finally cried out the word that he had failed to speak to Absalom while he was a fugitive in Geshur, or while he was isolated in Jerusalem, or while Absalom was finally in his presence, David finally speaks the word that might have brought such healing, and he cried out, Oh, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And he, he, he had to say it again and again. If only it could have been me. Hanging in the tree instead of you, my son. I would have climbed up there for you. How, how do we avoid regret in our relationships? Well, what does the story of, of David and Absalom reveal to us? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us an important word on making every effort. And this is what it says. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it. Here's how we make every effort. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, grace, when we show grace in our relationships, grace is the barrier to bitterness growing like a cancer in our relationships. So if you have something to say to someone you love, then say it. If you have amends to make in a relationship, then make amends. Reach out. Build a bridge. Show forgiveness of you. Forgiveness to show. Show forgiveness. Or if you have to admit a wrong and seek forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, do it. 
Make every opportunity by showing grace to others and to yourself. Because we never know when those opportunities run out. And listen, showing grace to others, grace to yourself, that doesn't mean give yourself a pass. See, that's not grace. Grace is not just saying, ah, yeah, I made some really big blunders. Ah, it doesn't matter. No big deal. See, one thing we notice from the story, we have to notice it from the story, actions matter, attitudes matter. When we deal with one another in illegitimate ways, God doesn't remove the consequences all the time. God forgives. Yes, he does. God restores. Yes, he does. God is an expert at taking a mess and bringing about good purposes through it. But God allows our actions to really count. So grace is not... Yeah, I'm just going to give myself a pass on that. It's all right. No big deal. No, this is what showing grace is. Grace says, I'm not pulling back from this relationship. I'm not checking out of this relationship because of something you did. Grace offers an alternate ending for us. Instead of increased alienation, grace points us to reconciliation. So I encourage you, think about this week ahead. Is there some act this week of checking in instead of checking out that you can make in some relationship? Maybe there is a fault of someone that you can just let go of, let go of the anger. Or maybe it's your own fault, and you are going to push ahead and seek reconciliation in that relationship. See, grace refuses to condemn. because of their sin. And sometimes that someone is yourself. Grace refuses to condemn someone because of their sin. And sometimes that someone is yourself. And I wonder if in his shame, David just remained silent and checked out. But see, we live in a world that has grace as its ultimate example. See, Absalom, Absalom died in that tree for the sins that he had committed. David wanted to be able to exchange himself for Absalom, but he wasn't able to. But we do have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who did that very thing. Instead of us dying for our sins, Jesus wept over our sins. And he did what David could not do. Jesus died in our place. Jesus said, I will not let you die for your sins. I will die in your place. And Jesus climbed up in that tree. Jesus hung in that tree for us. You see this story, this long story in 2 Samuel about this relationship, multiple relationships, train wreck. because of sin and shortcoming and just a big mess. The story of David wanting to save his son, it it, it points to an ultimate salvation, doesn't it? It points to the story of our Savior looking down on the mess that we've made. It points to this time when Christ would say, I'm going to come down. I'm going to help clean up that mess. And I'm going to die in your place so you won't have to. 
Oh, that we would see that and be forever changed by the grace that Jesus Christ shows us. Let us pray. Merciful Savior Christ, as we read this story, as we think about the tragedy of it, let us not miss how there is a fulfillment of the tragedy that is found in your death on the cross. The story moving our hearts towards some moment of redemption. We don't see it in the story, but we know that when we turn our pages of the Bible over a few hundred years to the right, we see that you entered into our mess of a story in giving your life for us. And we pray that you would be merciful to us that You would show us the grace that you have revealed to us, your deep love for us that moved you to die on the cross for our sins. And may you encourage us through your love this morning. May you make us new people. May you help us to put away anger because you put your anger away. And help us to live lives that reach out and reconcile and forgive just as you've done for us. We pray this in the name of our Savior Christ. Amen.